Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. So our text today comes from the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 through the 10th verse. Hope you would join with me in your Bible that you brought with you or the one in the pew in front of you. But let's now hear the reading of God's word. See, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire and the washer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, I will be swift to bear against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers, the widow, the orphan, and against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For though I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing of blessings. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Most holy and living God, open our ears, open our eyes, open our very hearts that we may be receptive to you, to your words, to your love, to your grace, but even to account for and recognize the blessings that you have already given to us. And in doing so, O Lord, may our hearts be changed, our lives transformed, so that we would leave this place not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. So in both the year 1999 and the year 2000, I had the opportunity to go to the country of Cuba on a Methodist building team through the Board of Global Missions. And when we went there, we were working with a partner church with the Methodist Church of Cuba 
to rebuild old sanctuaries, many that had been closed down at the rise of communism with the revolution, but were now starting to open back up because you couldn't stop the gospel. And what we know, we went there as sort of cultural studies before we walked in to the country, we knew about communism. We knew that times had been tight ever since the Soviet Union collapsed in 1989. So much so that housing was limited. The government told you where you had to live and how many people could live in your house. It was tight. They rationed food. They rationed wages. The average Cuban made about $20 a month. And that was pretty much where it was across the board. There might be a few that could eke out a little bit more, but never really much. And so when we go to the country, we go to this village in the Isle of Youth, which is a small island south of the main island of Cuba. There weren't hotels for us to stay in. So instead, we were farmed out to host families. And I was introduced to Miss Inez. Now, Miss Inez lived in a two-bedroom one-bath house with a galley kitchen and one room that functioned as kind of the common room, dining room, living room, den, whatever you want to call it, oh, and the breakfast room. So really tight quarters. She lived in this house with her daughter and her son-in-law and a grandchild, and now she was taking on a missionary for two weeks. And despite the meagerness of her rations, despite the meagerness and the tightness of her home, she insisted. She insisted that I have one of the bedrooms for myself. The grandchild would sleep with her in her room and her daughter and son-in-law would sleep on the floor in the main room on a pallet. She insisted that every morning that I have a shot of Cuban coffee, and by shot I really mean, I mean, it's like jet fuel in a shot glass, friends. I am not a coffee drinker, but I became one that two-week period. And it was one shot in the morning and two at night. I'm still not sure that the math works correctly because it is just caffeine upon caffeine. But she insisted. She insisted that I choose what TV show we would watch in the evenings when I'd come in from work and from meeting with church people. There were three channels. There was the Castro channel, the government channel, which is really the Castro channel with just less Castro. And then there's the entertainment channel, which is really the government channel, but they sort of run the propaganda through telenovelas and sort of sci-fi movies. I had a choice. My seventh grade Spanish was not gonna sort me well in any option, so I went for entertainment. That was a choice the family wanted, but I guess if I'd wanted the Castro Channel, they would have endured it for two weeks. That kind of hospitality. She let me choose all the things despite her meagerness, despite all her, her seemingly poverty to me. But we went to church on a regular basis. They worshiped on Sunday morning and Sunday night and then three nights of the week. So when we complain about having to go to church all the time, they've got us beat. Believe you me. But when we went into the church the first time, she made sure to show me a chart on the wall. So imagine there's a chart going down this back wall or the side wall of the sanctuary here. Every church member's name is on it. And there are 52 columns. At first, I thought it was the attendance chart that you came in and you checked your attendance. Well, that would have been eye-opening. 
but it got deeper. It was the giving chart. They marked off every week that every member of that church gave to the church. Miss Inez and her son-in-law and daughter were proud to show me their names on the list that they had perfect attendance of giving to the church every week, supporting its ministries. So out of seemingly nothing, she gave out an abundance of gifts, hospitality, and supporting the ministries of her church so willingly. See, I think she understood what the prophet Malachi was speaking to the Israelites about. He was speaking on God's behalf, and in this passage, he tells the Israelites to bring the full tithe to God's storehouse. He encourages them to do so, and in doing so, that they would see the showers of blessings poured upon them. Now, a little bit of a background on this. At that time, and still to this day, the definition of a tithe is the first fruits of the harvest. It's the best 10% of the harvest or of your cattle or of the fruits of your labor, your income. And what was happening was the Israelites, and Malachi knew this, and speaking on behalf of God challenged them. He knew they weren't bringing 10%. And when they were bringing the cattle, for example, they weren't bringing the best cattle. They were bringing the weaker ones, the anemic ones, the sicklier ones, and offering those to the Lord. Now, to put that in kind of a context for us, imagine, if you will, that you were invited at work or at school to do a canned food drive for, say, Thanksgiving. And you flip open the cupboard, and immediately you look for all the things in the cupboard that you don't like that someone has mysteriously put in there. Friends, I'm here to confess to you, I did this in high school, four years running. We would open up the cupboard, my brother and I, and there might be canned asparagus or something else that we didn't want, canned corn. I don't know what it was, but as soon as we saw that, we thought, this will keep this off our dinner plate. We'll rake it in and we'll give the food to those who are hungry. Now, they will eat it. But was I really being generous or was I being self-serving? Did I really think that that would keep asparagus off my plate? Mom still goes to the grocery store every week. We know how that's going to turn out. Or maybe what this is like is if it's not that, what Malachi is speaking to is the equivalent of hearing that there's a family in need that needs furniture to get started. And you look around your house and go, you know, I've been wanting to give a new couch or getting a new couch for me, so I will buy a new couch for me and we'll give them our worn out, dilapidated one because that's just perfect for them. See, Malachi was on to the Israelites and on their commitment, on their lack of faith, on their lack of realizing what the offering and the blessing was about. And so what he does is Malachi tries to tell them that you not see why you are not blessed in life. You're not blessed because the givings that you give, the gifts, they're not really blessings either. They're almost the leftovers. So Malachi challenges the Israelites and challenges us to open our eyes. 
to open our eyes and account the blessings around us, to understand that every one of us in this room, that every one of us that reads these texts, that every child of God has been blessed by God in some way. And that we are blessed to be a blessing for the kingdom of God. That we are to give out of that abundance, out of those blessings, we're to give out of that abundance for the sake of the kingdom. And that we will receive a great reward. Now, he's not talking about a prosperity gospel where if you give money away, that money will be showered upon you. This is not some kind of crazy fortune thing you see on the internet or a Nigerian prince or anything like that. No, this is about doing something good, responding to the grace that God has given to you, the blessings that we have been given, and to see how those blessings are magnified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And realize that we are a part of that. But so often, we don't function from this layer of blessing. We function instead from this idea of scarcity. See, the fear of scarcity is very real in our world. It's very real in our psyche. If you've been around anyone that grew up in the Great Depression, they understand scarcity. And they lived with it their lives, and it affected who they were, and maybe even their children, and possibly their grandchildren. Or if you ever watched someone or talked to someone that's had to scrounge for their very meal money, they understand this fear of scarcity. It's embedded in our nature that we want to ensure that we have enough. But the problem for us is the definition of enough is a sliding scale. It changes and shifts over time. Take children, for example. Before they learn the value of money, if you said to a child, would you like to have one shiny quarter or two shiny nickels? You know what they're going to take, right? They'll take two over one every stay. Because two is better than one until they learn the value of the coins. Well, this idea this quest for more. Think about this. If you win the, the $100 million lottery, how often do we win this? Would someone win this and then complain about all the taxes they have to pay? I mean, before the numbers were called, you had nothing, and now you have $100 million, and you're going to have to pay a little out in taxes, and I get it, but... You have all this that's left, and yet we complain about the taxes. See, scarcity is the fear of not having enough time or money or resources. And this scarcity affects how we act and how we behave. I mean, think about the Israelites. What were they doing? They were keeping the best cows for themselves, thinking that no one would notice. Or think about my colleague in ministry, one of my senior ministers that I worked with, Jody Seymour. One year during stewardship, he goes to the altar and he lays out 10 apples. He just kind of rolls them out there, lines them up nice and pretty. He says, let me explain tithing to you. It's like this. You have 10 apples. What you do, your tithe is supposed to be 10%, the first fruits of your harvest, the best. And so he takes the brightest, biggest, shiniest apple and he sets it on the other end of the table. Now there's nine. He goes, we give God the tithe and we keep nine for us to do all the things that we need to do. And so then he starts talking about like, you know, we'll take some for housing, we'll take some for food, we'll take some for entertainment, we'll take some for savings, we'll take some for, for doing other things that we just need to do from time to time, fixing our house, that kind of thing. He says, but then we play this game with ourselves. 
We spend the nine and then we look over at the one. And we say to ourselves, you know, it's been a tough year. I probably need like a couple of mental health days at the beach. And about that time he pulls out a pocket knife and he carves off a chunk of the 10th apple. And he says, you know, to succeed in my job, I need to look good. And so if I look good and I succeed, I'll have more money, which means I can do more giving to God. So I'll go buy some new clothes and we carve off a little bit more of the 10th apple. And he makes a few other suggestions like this, these games that we play with ourselves in our mind. Before you know it, what we're left with in this image is an anemic apple, more or less a core with maybe a little bit of meat on it. See, we tempt ourselves time and time again, and with this idea of scarcity, we're afraid there's not enough, and so we withhold these blessings. But I think of Miss Ines. Scarcity was very real in her world. A ration of coffee and sugar and rice and soy, and whatever money that she made, she could use it to buy in the marketplace anything else she wanted a very tight home, counting her pennies, if you will. And yet, she gave. She gave a place to stay to a stranger. She gave coffee to a stranger. She gave to her church. See, she knew what Malachi was trying to challenge the Israelites about, this idea of abundance. She knew the abundance in her life, and she gave freely out of that abundance. Because abundance is about the realization of the blessings and the blessedness in our lives. Abundance is about the realization that we have more than enough, that we have all that we need, and then some when it comes to time and money and resources. And the journey to this understanding and the realization of abundance begins with an honest accounting of the blessings that we have received, the blessings that have been poured upon us. And so my challenge for us this week, from this moment until we sit down at the table with family and friends or whomever on Thursday for Thanksgiving, our challenge for us is to take stock of these blessings, to look around your homes, to scroll through your contacts list, whether it's on a phone or a Rolodex or a black book or whatever you keep all your friends and numbers on. To look at our checkbooks and our 401ks and 403bs and whatever else we have. But just to look around and to realize that everything that we've been given, everything that we have is a gift from God. And at that moment, then we've got to realize, if we see all of these things and realize that they are gifts to us from God, then we must realize that we are truly blessed as children of God. And at that moment in time, the teaching of Malachi needs to be anchored in our lives that realize that this abundance that we have, that it should affect how we live and how we give. That we count this idea of abundance and we begin to live from that anchor point. It's a man that walked into a grocery store with a seeing eye dog. It was obvious that, that he was visually impaired. And he asked the clerk, he said, where are the cards? I need to get a card for my wife's birthday. And the clerk kind of pointed him in the direction and he goes back there 
and then he gets up really close to the card stack. That's how visually impaired he is. He gets really close, holding the cards to his face so that he might read the cards. A man that had been standing at the checkout line when the clerk had been interrupted had just come in off the road. He was a trucker. He'd been on the road. He was, he was bleary-eyed. He'd been driving for 10 hours. He just wanted to get a few groceries and go home and see his family. But he'd heard the exchange, and he watched the man and his dog approach the cards. And he checked out, and he walked over to the man, and he said, can I help you? And for the next 30 minutes, he read every one of the birthday cards to the man with the dog until they found the right card for that man to give his wife for her birthday. See, that man, that trucker, he knew about his blessings. He knew about his abundance, and he knew that while he was tired and he was just ready to go home, that he still had time that he could give. He could do some small act for another person. Or think about the man that came into my church a couple of years ago and he sat down and he said, I, I got to tell you something. He said, you know, I've decided that it's time to get out of business and I sold our business and we've always been blessed and we have always blessed the church with our blessings. He said, but I didn't realize how blessed we were in business until we sold it this week. And he said, I could not thank God enough for what I've received unless I gave the church the first fruits. And he handed me a check. Friends, it's the largest check I have ever seen. And he did it with tears in his eyes and joy in his heart. Tell us how blessed he had been to give it to the church to do something magnificent. See, whether we give willingly or gladly, we've got to do this. We've got to understand that when we give from our abundance, we realize that we are blessed to be a blessing. Three things occur. The first is that we make a difference in the lives of others. The second is that we build the kingdom of God because we take part in furthering the mission of the church. And the third, that we find some joy. We find joy in being realized how blessed we are and how we can respond to God and that we're helping the church fulfill its mission in discipleship and worship and transformation and care. See, that was the joy that Miss Inez found when she provided hospitality to a missionary, but when she found every week when she put coins in the collection plate, when she was checking her name off the wall of having to give or having given, she found joy in supporting the work of her church in her community. Which brings us to us. See, our gifts, our tithes and offerings, they have a tremendous impact on the ministries of this church. But not just the ones that we're currently doing, but the ones that we could do. See, when we make our collections, when we pass the offering plate, and we give through the mail or however, our offerings, our tithes and offerings, they help ensure that we have the right staff to carry on the mission and ministry that we believe in. That we're able to support the ministries that we do, sort of the, the not so exciting side of church. I mean, this facility is a great place for us to gather and it's a springboard and a lighthouse and an equipping station. But it has to be maintained and have to have the utilities and the insurance and the communications that are all a part of it. 
But our gifts also do discipleship for children, youth, and adults, teaching us to walk closer with Jesus, to build community through justice and reconciliation and music and arts and congregational care and senior adults. That our gifts provide mission and transformation through the work of the United Methodist Church and the work of our very own missions committee to change lives in our community and around the world. And oh, they provide this opportunity for us to gather for worship. But there are a couple of facts I want to share with you about this. Because this is what our offering does, but there are a couple of things that I think we need to sort of hold each other accountable to. There are 2,300 members of our congregation who we call ourselves members of the family of God, members of the family of Centenary. That's roughly 1,450 households. Only 654 households, 45%. Only 654 households, only 45% of our households give to support the ministries of this church. Friends, that means that there's 55% of us who do not give. And I think about all of the abundance in our lives that are around us each and every day, and there's 55% of our brothers and sisters who do not give to support the work, who do not make a response to that abundance. And I think of what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be in this community and around the world, and I think of those 796 who don't give a dollar, if they gave $1,200 a year, that's $100 a month, $25 a week, $3.57 a day, which is less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. If those 654 giving units, I'm sorry, 796, I'm sorry, if that 796, if 55% would just give that way, $1,200 a year, there will be $955,000 in ministry money available to us today that we could do deeper impact, deeper work in our community. So if you are in this group, let me just say this to you very directly. This may be an eye-opening opportunity. And what I ask you to do is I ask you to consider as you look at what you can do next year, in 2024, I ask you to step forward in that regard. If you are not giving a dollar to this church, I ask you to step forward and consider $1,200 a year, $3.57 a day, to try that. If you look and take an accounting of all your blessings, you realize that you can do that this year too, I ask you to do that as well. Another way of looking at this for us is our budget is $4.2 million dollars. Now, we don't charge dues in the church. We're not a club. We're a family. But if we were to charge dues, if we were to charge equal shares, that's almost $2,900 that works out to all these giving units. Friends, the poverty level for a family of four in Winston-Salem is $29,000. A tithe, 10%, the first fruits on that poverty level is $2,900. Surely we can do that. Surely we can do better than that. And if all of us, 
all 1,450 households, if we all took a step forward in giving $1,200 this next year, $100 a month, $25 a week, $3.57 a day, this church would have $1.74 million more in ministry money than we have available today. Think about what God is calling us to do. Think about the blessings that could rain down on our community if we had $1.74 million more in ministry that we could do. How would God bless that faithful giving? Think about the deep impact that we would have in making disciples and changing the world by just stepping forward and returning the full tithe to God. So I ask you, do you consider that for us and for the work of the kingdom of God this next year? I think about coming in here to worship, there's not a list of names on our wall, and I wonder if there is, would that make a difference? But I remember Miss Inez, the look on her face and then this pigeon and I mean her perfect Spanish and my really rudimentary Spanish and her rudimentary English, which was really as good as my Spanish. I think about her and the pride. She wanted to make sure that, she, that I understood why her name was on the wall and to see all the ways that she gave because she was excited about the difference that she made. She realized that she had been blessed with an abundance beyond all, all understanding and she gave out of that abundance. So our work, my brothers and sisters, our work today is to listen to Malachi and to determine are we living in scarcity or we think that there is not enough of what we truly need in our lives? Or are we living in abundance? We have more than enough than we need. That we've been truly blessed by God. And does our giving, does our response to that truly reflect the blessings that God has poured upon us? Do we give as Malachi calls us to or are we robbing God? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.